Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Mm, there it is. Can you help me thank God for Pastor Rob? Yeah. And for Bree and for River. Um, no, I, you know, it's funny, right? I, I know uh, Pastor Rob was embarrassed, but I thought it was adorable. I love that we have a family church where children can come boldly before the throne of God to talk to their father. Come on, somebody. He was like, I belong here. This is my church. Can I get two more donuts, please? Uh, so glad that you're here this morning. My name is CV. I get to serve alongside a wonderful team uh, of volunteers and deacons and staff members and pastors. It is my great honor to be a part of this church we call Beacon. Today, we have so much wonderful things, so many wonderful things uh, to do together. Um, we're going to start a brand new series today in Luke chapter 8. If you're new, let me kind of share with you a little bit about how we teach uh, the Bible. We're an expository church, which means we go line by line, book by book. Um, and what we do in the falls is we work through the Gospel of Luke. So when we first launched, we did chapters 3 and 4, the beginning of the ministry, 5 and 6. This fall, we're doing chapters 7 and 8. And so we start a brand new series today in chapter 8. And the title of the series is Word and Power. The theme over the next several weeks as we work through this text together is to understand how Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for their ministry. Amen. How many of you know that you have a ministry? Come on, somebody. Your ministry is not coming to church. Come on, somebody. Sunday is the engine that fuels you for the ministry God's called you to. And so Jesus is beginning in chapter 8 to prepare the disciples for their ministry. And he does it in two ways. One, through the spoken word. He begins to preach the good gospel. We're going to talk about that today. And then also through the demonstration of his power. We're going to do that in the last several weeks of the series. And all of this is in preparation that his disciples might see just how God works wants us to enact ministry for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And today we pick up our series with the first message in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke 8. We're reading just verses 1 through 3. And what typically serves as kind of a detailed introduction um, for us will be the, the whole marrow of the message today. A lot of times when you're reading the Bible or when you, when you hear the Bible taught, um, these little sections in the beginning of chapters or in the beginning of books that are mostly like setups, right? They're names and places and here's what's gonna happen next. Uh, they're easy to jump by. They're easy to skip because it sort of feels like, you know, a preposition uh, and you wanna get to the marrow. But we, we actually believe that there's marrow in every word. Come on. I believe that every single word in the Bible is, is God-breathed and good for me, right? That means that even in the genealogies of the line of Adam or Leviticus where it gets real word, I, weird, I believe that too is also good. It just takes some hard work to get in there and really understand what the Lord is trying to say for us. And so today, we're going to pick up right here in this. We're going to pray. 
I believe God's going to do something fresh and new. And then at the end of our service today, I've got a big update, so please don't let me forget. Um, then I want to share with you what God is doing with us in this coming season around the holidays. Amen? All right. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It reads like this. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. The title of our, our first message in the series is called Make Way for the King. Make Way for the King. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for this time together. Let us not take it lightly that you call us to gather in your name, to open your word, that we get to sing praises to you, that our prayers are heard by you, and that your voice is heard by us through this word today. God, I ask that you'd soften our hearts to receive, that you'd open our minds to believe, and that today would be a day where we would be different from now on out in Jesus' name. Amen. This, um, this portion of scripture is um, maybe one of my favorites. Um, I have two really, really wonderful passages of scripture that I just read all the time. If you go to Beacon long enough, you will hear the first one. It's from Acts uh, chapter 2 when they talk about the fellowship of the believers, how the first church started to come together. I love that story. I love the picture of what it looks like when a ragtag bunch of misfits starts believing God at his word and loving each other. I just love that. Amen? But then there's this passage. And this one is sort of what's next. After we've begun to gather and begun to believe, there should always be an evolution, a next step, a maturation in the faith process that says, okay, I'm fully persuaded and now fully willing to be used by God. And this is that. What we find in this passage right here, the very beginning of this chapter, is that Jesus is beginning to do his work, but he's doing his work not alone, but with some people. Right here, in these three verses, we're finding a galvanized body of believers for the very first time. We're finding that there are less looky-loos and less, less detractors, less doubters, less, less people with, with their foot halfway in the water. Right here is when the tide of the whole text, the Lucene letter, begins to shift and say something's different about these people walking with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus begins to go out and to teach and to preach and to operate in power, and there's a crew, there's a tribe with him. And I don't know if you have a tribe, but I'm going to tell you right now, you need a tribe. You need family. You need a culture. You need a group. You need a body of people who are willing to walk alongside you through thick and thin, who will love you in spite of you, correct you because they love you, and see you become who God's called you to be. Plain and simple. Amen? That's why we do small groups. You're like, small groups? This church is small enough. Yes, I know. But... 
We do small groups for a reason, and the reason is this. You can come on Sunday and hear the word and be moved by what the Lord might say to you, but if you don't have someone to walk it out with, ask hard questions with, be held accountable by, then you will be enamored and inspired on Sunday and completely forget it by Tuesday. So we put small groups on Tuesday. You have to have a tribe. That is part and parcel to the Christian faith is that we are built to walk together. And what I love about this tribe is that they do not fit together. And we're going to talk about how they logistically don't fit. But the beauty of Jesus Christ is that he's like glue. So no matter how broken the pieces are, every one of us fits. I mean, isn't it awesome to come to a church that has Pastor Ty sweating and jumping and shouting on one Sunday, and then Lucas taking us into the throne in flannel and boots? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Jesus is in and through all that. And I like all of it, right? When Pastor Ty's jumping, I'm jumping, I'm sweating, I'm hoarse. I come up to preach. I can't even preach. And then Lucas is there, and all of a sudden it's different. Something shifts. The Holy Spirit is present so that even if you were to walk into a church and be like, I don't know where I fit, when Jesus is there, you fit. And this group, they're bonded. They're, they're working. They're collaborative. They're, they're, they're changed by the presence of God. They've become a tribe. And right here in this chapter is when we begin to see that Jesus notices that they're changed and he starts changing their focus so that they start thinking about how they are going to be fulfilling the ministry he's called them to. And as we talk through this lens, this lesson, I want you to see through that lens. I want you to begin to ask yourself less of what is Jesus doing and more of how is Jesus preparing me to be doing what Jesus called me to do. That is ministry. Amen. Please hear me one more time before we change, before we transition. Do not allow yourself in this journey of faith to fall into the complacent trap of being a Christian consumer. Please. It is so very easy. Remember this, right? The enemy wants to destroy the church, and he'll do it through any number of ways. But the most effective of ways is just get you glued to your seat and loving Christian music and loving good preaching and loving to hear praying, but never doing anything other than eat, 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 eat. Amen? Challenge that notion in your heart that says, I came to receive from the Lord and shift it to, I came to serve the Lord. This month, we have celebrated in our country Hispanic Heritage Month. There it is, one of them. Now, we have a very diverse church, though my wife might be the loudest of the tribe. We have a very diverse church, and one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being a church that looks like I believe heaven, which is people from all different walks of life and all cultures. And when I was reading through this text for the very first time, I'd realized that, the, that this, this text was painting a picture for us of what a tribe in Jesus' name really looks like. And, and I found this poem by Alberto Rios. He is the poet laureate in Arizona. He's born uh, to a Mexican immigrant mother and a British father. He's recognized as one of the foremost Hispanic poets of our day. And he writes this poem that I thought so perfectly pictured us. He writes from a uniquely immigrant standpoint of what it looks like to be a disparate people in a foreign land bonded by one great big vision. And when I read it, it sounds just like the church. In, in this room right now, in our church, you're sitting next to some abuelos. 
and abuelitas. There's a few tios and tias, a primo and a prima. There's only one mamo and papo. They belong to us, and they're here. In this room, we have DACA kids, dreamers, immigrants, people who fought for their citizenship, people who are still working through their citizenship, and a whole body of people who are believing that God's best is still for them. Amen? And we have a whole group of people in this church who do not listen to the rhetoric of politics, but listen to the heart of the believers in the room that says, I see you, I love you, I'm with you no matter what. Amen? And so Alberto Rios writes this poem. I want to share it with you today because I think it's perfect for, for helping us to recognize the beauty of the Hispanic culture that is amongst us each and every Sunday, but also what it really looks like to walk together. It's called We Are of a Tribe. He says, we plant seeds in the ground and our dreams in the sky, hoping that someday the roots of one will meet the upstretched limbs of the other. It hasn't happened yet. We share the sky, all of us, the whole world. Together we're a tribe of eyes that look upward, even as we stand on this uncertain ground. The earth beneath us, beneath us moves. It's quiet, but it's wild. Its boundaries shifting and its muscles wavering. The dream of the sky is indifferent to all of us and all of this, impervious to borders, fences, and reservations. But the sky is our common home, the place we actually live. There we are in the world together. For the dream of the sky requires no passport, for blue will not be fenced in. Blue will not be a crime. Look up, stay a while. Let your breathing slow. Know that you always have a home here. He writes that poem from the vantage point of his mother who came for a better life for her children illegally, found her way to a place that was better than where she was. And despite the detractors and the negative perception around her, stood her ground and kept her eyes on the prize. And when I read that, I read of the kingdom. I read of the intrinsic desire in each and every one of us, no matter where we come from, to know that this isn't it, baby. There's got to be more than this. I am called to more. There's got to be greater. And I won't rest until I see blue sky. And that, I believe, is why when we pick up this passage, because of that intrinsic desire to know that there's greater than me, is why this passage doesn't say Jesus travels from city to city and village to village to preach the good news of salvation. It says he comes to preach the good news of the kingdom. What we're first going to talk about today before making way for the kingdom is we have to clearly define the kingdom. Making way for the king implies that you and I both know that there is a kingdom, something greater than this. Amen? So look, look, look at this real quick. Verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus went through the cities and the villages, and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. I love the fact that Jesus is speaking big things to small places. Come on. This is one of my favorite parts of the gospel. Did you know that everything great starts small? 
Think about every wonderful human being in this world who was at one point just the cutest, tiniest, slimiest, alien-looking baby you ever saw. And look at you now. Isn't it fun when you meet somebody, especially in our church, because we have a lot of babies, and they they finally come because they, you know, they had the baby and they got to be safe with the baby, and then they come with the baby for the first time. And I don't know how you react, but I'm a squealer. I mean, I'm full on like, come here, give me your baby, right? I love babies, and I don't know what it is. I think the truth of the matter is, is that there's, there's in me something that's just exciting of what's to come right? When I see your baby, I'm, I'm already thinking like, I can't wait. Are they going to be a soccer player? Will they be in drama? Will they play guitar? What will they be like? I can't wait to dream with you. I might be more excited than you are. When's practice? I'm coming, right? I just love what's possible. And, 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 and I think Jesus sees the same thing. So when Jesus begins to build his ministry, he doesn't start the conversation around the kingdom in a place that thinks it knows everything about the kingdom. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to the cities and the villages, the small places where potential lives, where real dreams are birthed. Tell me if you know this about yourself, but when times are tough, that's when you really start thinking about what's next. See, when, when, when times are easy, when you got it all made, when you're comfortable, some of us are like, still not there yet, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when, when there comes a season in your life where things kind of align and you get comfortable, the common human tendency is to just rest on your laurels a little bit. All right, everything's good, just please nothing mess this up. But there's also beauty in difficult seasons. There's also wonder in finding that you're discontent with what you have right now. I don't know if I have any actual dreamers in the building, but I, if you're like me, then you're a daydreamer. If I'm in the car, it's not uncommon for me to drive, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles and realize after a few moments or an hour that the radio has been off the whole time and I've just been where have I been? Is anybody else like that? And you're just like, and then one day we'll own a cabin on a lake. And I'll have pet moose. What? Like, you just, I'm a dreamer. And I find for me that dreaming oftentimes happens or is birthed out of sometimes challenging seasons. I believe that's what Jesus knows when he walks through the cities and villages is he knows that there's people in those places who are challenged and struggling. And those, those are the perfect ingredients for hope. It says, I know this ain't it. I'm kind of sick of this. And so when Jesus walks in, he begins to preach of something they've never seen before, but maybe only dream. And he talks about the kingdom. Now let's talk about kingdom. We all say the prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that prayer. But I wonder how many of us actually know what it means. What we're actually praying when we we pray thy kingdom come is that we're asking the Lord's rule and reign to be here completely. And the reason that that's important is because right now we live in a world that would reject that completely. Well, I always joke with other uh, pastors in our city and, and, and many of my colleagues that Denver, Denver is what is known as a post-Christian city. Have you ever heard this term before? Post-Christian means more people that live here are not Christian than people who live here who are Christian. It means by its very nature, the very term means itself that the culture has moved on. 
which is a pretty frightening thing to think about for the culture. And so when we're talking about kingdom, what we're talking about is, is coming into a place that has a king and telling them there is a king greater than this king and his rule is the only good rule and it is time that his rule take over. Now, I don't know if you've ever read a lot of history or understand how kingdoms come to be, but the transition of power is rarely amicable. Amen? It is rarely read in the history books, no matter the epoch or the time, that one king showed up on the shores of another kingdom and was like, really love what you've done with the place. It's mine now. And that other king be like, I love it, great, come on in. No, it's met by what? War. Which means that when we pray thy kingdom come, we are essentially shouting a battle cry into our cities that says, we recognize that there are dominions and there are powers and there are principalities in this place, but we also recognize that they no longer have a rightful foothold to this place. And so we are hereby declaring that this is now ours. These, these principalities that are in this area are no longer rulers, they are vassals, they are subjects. And we're willing to make a treaty which is bow down and run or we're just bringing Jesus in whether they like it or not. Did you know that's what you pray when you pray that? Essentially what you pray when you pray the Lord's Prayer is, Satan, I'm coming to kill you. Yeah, see? You didn't know that, did you? You're like, I won't be praying that anymore. It's a battle cry when we talk about kingdom. That's why Jesus talks about kingdom. The, the world will tell you that Jesus was a sweetie pie. Was he nice? Sure. That ain't what he came to do. Jesus came to take this place. And he did it in uncommon methods. And the world loves a good story about Jesus being nice or a good teacher or a prophet. But what they don't understand is that Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came to kill all that was sent to kill you so that you and I might have life. And he is looking. No, he is demanding for a body of believers who see it in the same fashion that says, when we pray, things change. When we praise, things move. When we are here, things are different. We're no longer willing for the status quo to be here. Ah, see, it's cold outside, and I know that you're sleepy today because I'm looking for some people to shout this morning. Come on now. If you're first time here, sorry. Uh, you're like, what did you get me into? Whoever invited you is like, it's not usually like this. No, it is usually like this, actually. Jesus walks into cities and villages, people who are hurting and desperate. And he is the healer, the great physician. He is gentle and lowly. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. And he walks in and he says, I am the king. And I came to take everything over. Now that may be a challenge to people who love their own kingdom. But to those who are willing, that sounds like an invitation to rule. That is the invitation to rule. But here's what you need to understand. If he's the king, that makes us, ready, the subjects. So let's talk about real gospel for just a moment, okay? I know that our North American church, our world, us as Christians, we have jumped the shark and don't talk about service, submission, or surrender very often. We don't really like to do it. You know what we like to talk about? Purpose, calling, best life. You giggle, right? 
but go to the Christian book shelf in the book store and read the titles of the books. Amen? I, w- I promise you, come back next Sunday. Go do it. If you can find me one book with the word surrender on the front cover, I'll give you $100. Don't worry. I did my homework this week. <laughs> it's like, I mess up. We're broke. Here's the deal. Those books don't sell. Because Christians don't want to learn how to surrender. Christians want to learn how to overcome, how to be propelled, how to prosper, and how to find great gain. But the Bible says that godliness, holiness, righteousness, purity, plus contentment, gratitude, thankfulness, reverence, well, that's great gain. And you don't see that written to us. So when we talk about real kingdom, what I'm not saying is he's the one that wears the crown and you get to walk alongside him with the same size crown. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's the king and you get to serve the king forever. And you might be like, hold on, that sounds like a lot of work. It is. And it's worth every second. True service of the king. This is a woman who, when she meets Jesus, she is plagued. Supernaturally attacked and bound by seven demons. Not just one. She's not just depressed. She's not just anxious. She's not just fearful. It's not that she can't sleep. It's not that she doesn't believe in herself. It's not that she doesn't value her body. Seven demons have wrapped this woman up and have said, you account for nothing. But then she met a man named Jesus. Like the woman at the well, she said, I met a man, he knew everything about me. And Mary Magdalene would have furthered the story and said he knew everything about me and he cast it all off me. And I don't know if you've ever been through a season like that with Jesus, but when Jesus really pulls you out of your mud, you kind of can't stop sticking to him. Some of the most faithful believers I've ever met are the ones with the worst stories. That's why I love a church full of really broken people is they're like, Pastor, I would tell you my story, but you just, I don't think you want to hear it. And I'm like, let's go. I want to hear it. Do you know why? Because God's really good at working with really broken people. And when he really gets us, things really change. Number two, it says Mary called Magdalene and then Joanna, wife of Chusa, Herod's house manager. Ready? Herod, the king. Herod, the corrupt and inept Jewish king, has a whole court of people who serve him. And the chief of that court His name is Chusa. He's the house manager. And sometime during the the journey of Jesus, Chusa's wife, Joanna, heard the message of Jesus. Oh, I love this picture. Because she is one of those who needs for nothing. Her husband and her work in the royal court. Amen? They have access to all things. And if you know anything about serving under corrupt leadership, Chusa, who's in charge of getting all things for the corrupt leader, most likely is not a man of perfect integrity, which means that he has his hands on anything. And Joanna, with access to anything, meets the man who has the one thing she can't hold on to. 
she too is connected to Jesus. And then there's this next name. It says Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. There is no other mention of Susanna in the Bible. This is it. This is it, ready? Just one time her name's mentioned. And it's mentioned as saying she was amongst a group of women who had been healed and delivered. And I read this, and I think of all the titles in the world, of all the ways to be known to history, be it king or queen, prophet or prophetess, priest, ruler, businessman, merchant, perhaps the most beautiful way to be known for a believer is by name and the way he saved us. Susanna is mentioned nowhere in the else in the Bible. Do you know why? Because what else is there to say? Susanna saved. And I'm like, I read that and I was like, oh man, I wish that was me. And I wish that for us. I actually wish that each one of us would strive for that title. So when I tell you that we're this kind of a church and it, it might rub you the wrong way that there might be a title not available to you here. I want you to understand that those titles are fleeting in comparison to this title, Susanna Healed, Sarah Redeemed, Jonathan Saved. That's the title we ascribe to. Now let me show you what happens in the life of these women. We have 10 minutes, we're going to pray and get you out of here. The Bible says that these women, plus others who are not mentioned, walking alongside Jesus and with him in the beginning of this process of reaching the lowly and calling them up high before he begins to really prepare this group of believers to begin to do the same thing throughout all of the regions around them. It says that these women walk alongside him and at the end of verse three it says, and they provided for them, some translations say him, out of their means. And this is what I think we should just call the royal treasury which is this. When Jesus talks about the kingdom and we identify who he's called to be a part of his court, we must all be very clear that belonging to the king means also providing for the king. The Bible says that these women provided for Jesus out of their means. Now we have to understand very clearly what means is so you don't get it wrong. They did not provide for Jesus, ready? Out of their excess. They did not provide for Jesus out of what was left in their pocket. They did not provide for Jesus just enough to get Jesus off their back. They provided for Jesus out of their means. It meant what they possessed, they gave to Jesus. Now you need to understand again who these women are. Mary Magdalene, the woman possessed with the seven demons. We understand that she too was likely a woman of the night, which meant that her income was made through the nefarious practice of prostitution. But when she came to know Jesus, that ceased. So everything that she had saved was now Jesus's. She was no longer working and giving some. She had given her means, what she had, to Jesus and said these words in her mind's eye. If you can use your imagination, she said, all that I have is yours because all that I am is yours and I trust you, period. 
And that's a big change for most of us as believers. Most of us do not believe in this kind of sacrificial giving. We love the concept of generosity, but real generosity births in it the sense of sacrifice. Joanna, too, a woman of means. We learned about her husband and what they had access to, but turning her back on the king of the region so that she might follow the king of kings meant that she also rejected a relationship and the means by which she could flourish in that world. We understand one of two things. Either she began to appropriate some of their salary towards Jesus or she left and took her husband with her and provided for Jesus. You see, we love the story about the way in which Jesus changes people, but we get really wary about what happens next. We want to be changed by Jesus, amen? But when Jesus changes us, we are to be changed completely. And for these women, it meant this. All that I have is yours because all that I am is yours. I trust you. And that too might be unique amongst women. Ready, fellas? Hard thing. You may not know this, but women are notoriously more generous than men. <laughs> Only mature men will laugh at that, right? Like, she sure is. Statistically speaking, not just in churches, but in altruistic circles, Charity Navigator, which is this big uh, organization that monitors charities and how they raise funds, every year they do a full report, In the documents, the evidence is true. Women, by and large, give almost 66% more than men every single year, in spite of the fact that a wage gap still exists in the United States. Isn't that shocking? And I want to challenge the church, fellas, that cannot be. That cannot be. If God calls certain men into certain positions, and if he calls each one of us by name, it would be absolutely wrong of the men in this house to say, the women will pay the bill. Come on now. Huh? You didn't do that on the date last night. Or you didn't get another one. (laughs) The Bible says essentially this. These women were changed by Jesus so much they decided to foot the bill. Everywhere that Jesus went, they went. They made sure that they found a way to make it so that Jesus could do what he could do. They made way for the king. And it is this invitation to the church today. You ready? If he's really done something for you, if he's really changed you, if he's really touched you, the question is, how are you making the way for him to do that for others? How are you doing it? Not are you. I mean literally, how are you doing it? Are you the 12 who are learning to teach, to preach, to prophesy, and to heal? Are you the women who are making the way financially? Which one are you? It's not divided by sex in this church. The question is, who are you? How are you making the way? How are you changing? How are you helping God changing others? Where is your service? Where is your giving? Where is your generosity? Please don't be a consumer Christian. Amen. I'm still pushing the same note hard. Don't come on Sunday and hear me sweat and yell at you and you go, that was great. I'll see you next week. I love you this much to tell you, don't. Don't watch this television show. Be a writer, be an actor, help produce this thing. Be a part of the body of believers such that we can do more. Amen? Amen. In a charismatic church, I'd take an offering right here. In Jesus' name. (laughs) But I won't. I might. Would you you give? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 
No, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to close this today with a final uh, a note, an invitation for you. To, uh, would you put that, that graphic up, um, Travis? Man, you guys can come up for one more song, but I want to give you some news real quick. So you should know that as a church, we launched three years ago. And um, over the course of three years, ready? This church has been in 19 venues. I have a friend who planted in Florida, and he's like, dude, we had to go to our second venue. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> hmm. We've been in 19 venues. And we've been in 19 venues because the city's different. Because Denver's a post-Christian city. And so when we would call venues, they would either tell me, we would, and I, this happened multiple times, we will never have a church here. And I was like, never say never. Um, <laughs> Or we would go and, and, and be at a venue and then they would change their mind because they, they didn't want a church there. Or the pandemic happened and the city's restrictions and the protocols were very difficult. And so we had to kind of go wherever we had an opportunity to do it. And when we did it, we did it safe, but we, we just had to find our way. And we ended up here a little over a year ago. And I'm not going to lie to you, I, I never liked this place. I mean, I love you, but it's a weird space, am I right? Like, I can touch this. I'm 5'9", just so you know. I'm short. And I can touch the ceiling. And I know that you came here for the first time if you're a visitor, and you're like, these seats are really close. I don't know that person. And you saw where Spark Kids were, and you're like, are you kidding me? I know it's a weird space. But God's done something really unique here, Amen. There's been like a really sweet culture that he's developed amongst us. It's felt quirky, but it's felt real. It's felt honest, and it's felt like the Lord's been here. Yeah. And our time here is coming to an end. Uh, the Comedy Works has selected not to continue working with us. And they've not given us a reason. And that's okay. Because um, we're going back to the Bluebird. Yeah. Amen. Um, I love hard challenges like this in the church planting world whenever I get a phone call that's like, we don't love you. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you on the other side. Um, I don't know that's what happened, but they've made a decision not to continue working with us. And so we called our old friends at the Bluebird where we originally launched this church. And I said, I think we're ready to come back. And she was like, I can't wait to have you back. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be working through the details this week with our friends at the Bluebird, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to aim to launch services in the Bluebird Theater on the first Sunday of November. That's November 6th. So we're going to finish out our time here. We're going to spend the next month transitioning and getting ready to go there. But here's where you come in, okay? Um, ministry at the Bluebird Theater is a little harder. There's a little more to do. At the Bluebird, we have to bring in our own chairs. We store them on site, but we have to set them up. And at the Bluebird, rather than having a dungeon, we, we actually have the kids' ministry in the balcony. And we actually bought and built a custom soundproof wall that is built every Sunday morning so that the kids get to join us for worship. We open the curtains, and then when it's time for ministry, we close. They have their kids' lesson. We have our lesson. But it's a lot of work, and this is where I need you. In the app, if you have your phone, I want you to pull up the app if you haven't, or if you don't have the app yet, I want you to do it today because this is how we're going to make way for the king in the city. I want you to text the word beacon to the number 97,000. So you're going to open a text message. You're going to send to the number 97000, the word beacon. It's going to send you back two links. You can download the app right there. 
okay? Or if you're in the app store, just look for the Church Center app and search for Beacon. And once you get into the app, there's going to be a button right on the homepage, and it says Bluebird Crew, okay? If you have never been to church at Beacon, at Bluebird, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to tell you this, there is nothing better. It is the most amazing experience you'll ever have. I like to say this, there's nothing like Sunday mornings on Colfax. There's just nothing like it. And if you've never been there, I want to challenge you to join the team. We actually need you. We've got a whole bunch of people who serve in this church and in different ministries in different areas. But when we return, we need more people for different areas, okay? So I want you to click the little button that says Bluebird Crew and sign up. We're going to call you this week because over the next month, we're going to do two different things. We're going to go to our storage. We're going to pull out some of our stuff on one day. And then on one Saturday, we're going to have a full mock service. We're going to get in. We're going to set up. We're going to have church because we're going to be there. We're going to tear down and we're going to come home just so we get used to it because we're going back to the Bluebird Theater. Amen? Last thing, if you've never served, if you've never served in this church and you call me your pastor, this is where I need you. This is it. I need you right here because if you don't do it, we can't do it. I can't set up all the chairs by myself and I'm not tall enough to reach the curtains there. If this is your home, help us build our home. Amen? Would you do me a favor? Stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship one last time. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org to download our Beacon app. Text Beacon to 97,000. Once again, text Beacon to 97,000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!